right, thanks band for leading us in worship. And now we get to continue worshiping by studying the word together. And the scripture that we're going to look at this morning comes from the book of First Peter. So please, if you will, open in your Bibles with me to the book of First Peter. You're getting towards the end of your Bible, First and Second Peter, right before First, Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. So we'll be in First Peter chapter three this morning. First Peter chapter three. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about a really interesting and bizarre news headline that came up the other day. I was looking through some news and I saw this headline and I thought, this can't be real. It's got to be a joke, but it was real. And and it was a headline that said this, bees are now fish in California. Bees are now fish in California. There was some sort of legal case where people wanted to be able to protect bees as endangered species, but they didn't fall under the Protection Act that protected animals like that. And so they said, hey, let's just say that bees are fish. They fit under the fish category, so then they can be protected. And so the court decided that bees are legally fish in California. And... The funny thing about this is it's not just a fringe story. It was, it was a big story that lots of national news platforms picked up on. NBC News, The Wall Street Journal, Fox News, even The Weather Channel was talking about this because, and they picked this thing up and, and we think it's silly and everyone thinks it's silly because we all know that bees are not fish. It's obvious. It's reality. It's simply the truth and everyone knows it. And so it's fun to make fun of an article like that where it says that bees are fish because everyone really knows that a bee is not a fish. But it gets ironic when we think of the other blatant forms of truth and reality that exist because God has set them up in this world that our culture actually rages against, right? How about a man can be a woman if he wants to? We know that that's just simply not true. And yet, instead of thinking that that's silly, the world celebrates that type of idea. How about the concept that when God has said very clearly, you shall not murder, there are, time, there are so many thousands of little children before they can even come into the world in their mother's wombs who are murdered by their mothers and by doctors who help them do this because they call this health care. The murder of babies is not health care. A man is not a woman. A woman is not a man. Transgender lifestyles are not lifestyles that are approved by God in Scripture. These are clear truths, and nature tells us that clearly. Paul even appeals to nature. Everyone knows that these things are not true, and yet we live in a world where things so opposite to reality and truth are actually celebrated actually celebrated and paraded like pastor john mentioned this morning with pride month how we have a whole month of celebrating the world's wickedness and we have to understand that it's not mere ignorance right it's not just that people don't know what a man is or what a woman is or that murder is wrong or that abortion is murder. It's not that people don't know these things. If we think theologically, if we think according to the Bible, we're told by Romans that the people who advocate such things are people who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. 
They are suppressing the truth that is obvious. And that's because they love their sin and they hate God. And they want to live their lives as their own lords, as master of their own lives and not with God as their king and master and the one who defines the rules and calls the shots. They want to live for themselves. And so they suppress God's truth, hate him and celebrate their own sin. But it's not just enough for them to celebrate it. Think about this. They hate God. And so for people who stand for God, and love God, and advance God's truth, and and stick to God's reality as explained in scripture, the world hates those people because they align with God and they hate God. And so if you refuse even to join the celebration, think about this. There's so many things going on with Pride Month of different celebrations and flying flags and joining parades and wearing colors to your job. And, and you will be looked at differently if you don't go along with that. If you don't celebrate with them, you will be condemned as hateful, bigoted, oppressive, evil. The world will not appreciate if you stand for truth instead of celebrating falsehood and sin. And this is, this is behavior that is despicable to our God. Proverbs seventeen fifteen says this, listen, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to Yahweh. That is exactly what's going on today. People are condemning the righteous and celebrating the wicked, justifying the wicked. That's what's happening today. And if you are a believer, if you are a Christian who dares to boldly stand for God's sovereignty and kingship over this world, Psalm 24 says the earth is Yahweh's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He is the sovereign over all things and over all people. And if you stand for that and say that his word is truth and his commands matter and must be obeyed, the world will hate you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And 1 John 3.13, we're told, Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. And Jesus explains exactly why that is in John 15. Listen to John 15. So I read a, a passage here, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So we see that according to to the Bible, the reason that a sinful world hates believers is not something inherently about you. It's because they hate your God. 
They hate people who look like Jesus because they hated Jesus. And yet, Christians must not back down. We must not give in. We must not decide that it's not worth it to fight for God's truth because suffering is going to come because of it. We have to stand firm. That's what the book of Peter, First Peter is about. These believers that he's writing to are undergoing great persecution and suffering because of the name of Christ, because they're Christians and the culture hates them and persecutes them. And Peter is saying, stand firm, fix your hope. You have hope in eternity that you can stand on. And so take courage and stand for Christ But how are we supposed to treat those who persecute us? How are we supposed to, we know that we're supposed to love one another. We know that we're supposed to stand firm for truth, but it would be our gut reaction, I think, to return hate for hate, to fight fire with fire. If they're going to be jerks to us, well, then we can at least shun them, right? Stay far away. Don't go near these wicked people. Well, Peter actually tells us something different in this letter. Look at how he says that we should respond. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 9. Peter is summing up how to live in a world like ours. And he says, now to sum up, verse 8, all of you, listen carefully, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but giving a blessing instead. This is how we are called to live in the midst of a wicked world. To live in such a way that you wish a blessing on the people who hate you that you will not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling because you know why? You're to be like Christ and that's exactly how he lived. And the reason that we're to live like this is because we're not just here for ourselves. God has an agenda in the world. It starts at the beginning in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. And we learn that God has a plan that he wants to redeem sinners to himself for his glory. To redeem sinners, to redeem wicked people, to redeem people who could never redeem themselves. God wants to love and redeem these people and bring them to an everlasting kingdom. His own kingdom where he will rule over them with justice and equity and give them eternal life and blessing forever. He wants to do that for sinners. And if we're going to join in that cause as Christians, then we join with God's heart and desire that the wicked world around us comes to know the Savior, to experience the same blessing that we have been promised. That's your purpose in the world. That's why you are living here. If you are a Christian, it's not just for yourself, it's for this cause to share the hope that you have to give hope to others who are enslaved to their sin. How are we going to do that well in a world like this? How will we witness well in a hostile world? Well, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 this morning, and our text is going to teach us just that, how to witness well in a hostile world. And if you want sort of an umbrella statement to cover the whole passage, something to think on and to meditate on as we go through all of it, 
it would be this. You witness well in a hostile world by constantly fixing your mind on the holiness of Christ. You witness well in a hostile world by constantly fixing your mind on the holiness of Christ. That's the lesson that we learn from these verses in 1 Peter 3. So let's get into it and read them together. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. I'm actually going to back up just a little bit into verse 14. Maybe you see the, the section in all caps in your Bible. We'll start there. Halfway through verse 14 says this, and do not fear their fear and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and fear, having a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. This is how we witness well in a hostile world. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand this text. Father, your word is truth. You are the king over all the earth. You are the king over all who exist. And your design is what is right. And your truth is reality. Lord, you desire that sinners come to know Christ and have hope of eternal life in him. You have given us the task of being witnesses for you in this fallen world. Help us to do that well and help us to do that by learning what you have to teach us this morning in your word in these verses in 1 Peter. Bless this time. Give me clarity. Give everyone hearts to listen, to understand, and strength to obey. For the name and the glory of Christ. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage going to break it into four parts. There's four instructions here to help you witness well in a hostile world. Four instructions. And I'll tell you this at the start. The first one is the most important one. So if you're going to pay attention to one, let it be the first one because the three that come later are all going to flow naturally out of the first. If you get the first one right, Everything else will come naturally and easily. So we got to get this first one, and it's this. Point number one, regard Christ as holy. Regard Christ as holy. That's what we see in the end of verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15. Let's look at it again. And do not fear their fear, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts sanctify Christ. To sanctify means to regard as holy, and holy means like no other, totally set apart, totally not like anything else because that's who Christ is. There is no one like him. And the first step to faithful evangelism, to witnessing well in a world that hates God, is to fix your mind on the holiness of Christ, to regard him in your own hearts that for who he really is, he is like no other. He is preeminent, supreme, the ruler over all, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the king who sits on the throne whom the angels worship, 
the one whom the seraphim say, holy, 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 that is Christ. That is our God. And this first instruction is to regard him that way in your hearts. See him this way. Treat him as holy. And God is really serious about this command. He cares that his people regard him as holy. And we saw that. Do you remember the sin of the two priests, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the ones who offered strange fire before Yahweh? They did something that was not instructed. And it says in Leviticus 10 verse 3, that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they took their, their respective fire pans and put fire in them. They placed incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh that he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. What was their sin? What did they do wrong? Well, verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what Yahweh spoke, saying, by those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. God is serious that you regard him as holy. In Numbers 10, 12, do you remember Moses, the great prophet, the one who brought down the tablets of the law from Mount Sinai, who spoke face to face with God, that he was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land after all those years of leading them in the wilderness and leading them across the Red Sea. He was not able to enter the promised land. He wasn't allowed. Do you remember why that is? In Numbers chapter 20, in Numbers 20, when God instructed Moses to speak to a rock so that water would come out and provide for all of the people, Moses disobeyed him. Verse nine of of Numbers 20 says this, so Moses took the rod from before Yahweh, just as he had commanded him. So Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and he said to them, listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses raised high his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod and water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beasts drank. But Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. God cares that you regard Christ as holy in your life. What does that mean exactly? How do we do that? And to understand, we need to know what Peter's thinking here. What, what is he trying to get us to understand well, did you notice at the end of verse 14 that, that that last half of the verse is in all caps in your Bible, maybe? Do you know what that means? That means that it's a quotation from the Old Testament. And something that will really help you in understanding your Bible and reading your Bible with greater depth and understanding what God is teaching you through it is whenever you see that, whenever you see those all caps quotations, to go back to the Old Testament passage that that's referring to and learn the context and learn the story of what's going on there because Peter's expecting you to know that to understand this. So let's look back there. He's quoting from Isaiah 8. So let's go back to Isaiah 8. Isaiah chapter 8, and we're going to see. Well, let me just read for you as you turn there. 1 Peter 3 again. And do not fear their fear and do not be troubled but sanctify Christ as Lord. Now look at Isaiah 8. 
Isaiah 8 and verse 12, end of verse 12. Listen to this. And you are not to fear what they fear and you shall not tremble. It is Yahweh of hosts whom you should regard as holy and he shall be your fear and he shall be your cause of trembling. Do you see what's going on here? He's saying, don't fear the fear of this people, but rather fear Yahweh. And do you notice what Peter said? Who did Peter say to sanctify? Who shall you regard as holy in Isaiah 9? I'm sorry, Isaiah 8. He says, Yahweh of hosts you shall regard as holy. And then Peter says, sanctify or regard as holy who? Christ. He is Yahweh of hosts. And the reason that Peter says, Lord, sanctify Christ as Lord is because that was the way that the New Testament authors quoted Yahweh in the Old Testament. When they wrote Yahweh, they wrote Lord in the New Testament. That was the way that they did it. And so God is showing you and Peter's showing you through this quotation that Christ is the holy God of the Old Testament. But there's even more than that, because we need to look at the context of Isaiah 8. What's going on there? Well, look at this beginning of verse 12. You see how it says, you are not to say a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. Well, what was going on here? A conspiracy is enemies plotting together to kill you, to overtake you, to battle you. Flip back to Isaiah 7. Back to Isaiah 7, what's going on here? It happened in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Here's two kings, and they're going to conspire. Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but they couldn't conquer it. And what's going to happen here is that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is going to talk to King Ahaz, who is the king of Israel that's being attacked by these other two kings and tell him not to fear. He says in verse four, take care and stay quiet. Have no fear and do not be faint hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. And here's what's important to understand here. When there are kings even conspiring against you to overthrow your country, the reason for hope, the reason not to fear is not because it's going to be all okay. It's not because you're not going to have to fight in this battle. And it's not because you're not going to lose lives in this war. It's because you have an eternal hope. That's why you don't need to fear. And notice something here. Go down to verse 14. Look at this. This is amazing. This is a promise of an eternal hope. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? God with us. When there is terrifying circumstances around the world and even in your life, the reason that you don't have to fear is because God is with you. Isaiah 8, verse 10. Talk about a conspiracy, people conspiring together to hurt you. Isaiah 8.10 says, devise counsel, but it will be thwarted. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. 
For thus Yahweh spoke to me with a strong hand and disciplined me not to walk in the way of this people, these people who are afraid of worldly things. You are not to say a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear and you shall not tremble. It is Yahweh of hosts whom you should regard as holy and he shall be your fear and he shall be your cause of stumbling. Then he will become a sanctuary. This is your freedom from fear in a fallen world. When you sanctify Christ, Yahweh of hosts, and regard him as holy in your life. And so what we learn from this context in Isaiah is that there is an eternal hope. There's the promise of the Messiah, Emmanuel, in this passage. A promise of God with us, something that God is going to accomplish at that time. It was going to be in the future where you don't have to worry about the circumstances of this world right now because there is going to be a a promise. There is a promise of a man who will come that will be God, Jesus, the Messiah, God with us. And he will give you eternal hope and eternal security. And so it doesn't make any sense to fear your circumstances now when you have a hope in the future secured. And what are you supposed to do when you sanctify Christ as Lord? When you regard him as holy, as Yahweh of hosts? What's the proper response to that? Well, Isaiah tells us that he shall be your fear and he shall be your cause for stumbling. Here's an interesting point. Fear is not bad. Fear is good. Fear is right. But you need to make sure that you are fearing the right one. You need to reroute your fear so that it is not the fear of men, but the fear of God. Because, and this is how this relates to how you live and witness in a wicked world, because you are controlled, your behavior depends, and you're controlled by what you fear. I think we understand this, right? There was a time when I was on the cross-country team in high school, and we would run around a lake as one of our uh, practices, And there was this huge rock on the side of the lake that uh, a lot of the kids would always like to stop there at that rock on our practices and jump off into the lake. It was a fun little uh, side, little, uh, I don't know, fun thing to do. And the rock was really big and the water was really cold. And I was really not wanting to jump into that water. However, the fear of what, my teammates would think of me if I didn't do it was more powerful than my fear of the height of the rock or of the coldness of the water. And so I did jump off the rock and just goes to show that what you fear, what you care about most, the one who's you, who you care about their approval, that's who you're going to obey. That's who you're going to follow. And you know this even when you're taking a test, if you know that it's going to be graded in the future, if you know that you have someone that's going to evaluate your work, you're going to care what you do. If you know that your mom is coming home soon and you're supposed to do your chores, you know you're going to be evaluated in the end, you're going to do what you should because your work will be evaluated. Well, we have a job to do 
for God and by his power and for his glory. And when we fear him, we will be faithful in that responsibility. And so how do we practice this in our lives? How do we regard Christ, Yahweh of hosts, the Messiah, our eternal hope? How do we regard him as holy? Well, start with your personal life. Start with how you think. Start with how you reason and what your motives are. Ask yourself, why do you do what you do? Whose approval matters? Who are you trying to serve? Who are you trying to please? If it's not to please Yahweh, if it's not to please Christ as the Lord of your life, then repentance is in order. You need to realize that you must fear him and serve him and regard him as the Holy One. Friends, it would be tragic to live your whole life winning the approval of men and in the end realize that you are not approved by God. Who are you fearing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Fear the Lord. Fear Christ and serve him in your personal life. But this also relates to your witness to unbelievers, to your witness among those who are wicked in this world, who need the hope of eternal life. Look, it's very easy to be afraid of them. It's very easy to think, oh, they won't like me if I try to share the gospel with them. They won't like me if I stand out too much. And if I don't go along with what they want to do, they're going to get mad. They're going to call me names. They're, going to, they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. But look, you need to be more dominated by the fear of God than the fear of man. Which fear is dominating your life? Even in opposition and hostility. Jesus gives us a real perspective check in Luke 12, four through five. Listen to how he says about this. But I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. This is even people who might kill you. He's saying not to fear. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but I will show you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. These are the words of Jesus. He is the one who has that authority. We have to think bigger picture here. It's not just about this life. It's not just about comfort and pleasure and a nice easy life here. This is about an eternal hope. This is about an eternal perspective. Remember what's laid up for you, the living hope laid up for you in heaven that Peter talks about. That's what you have. And so fear Christ and don't fear the wicked people that you get to evangelize to. Don't fear them. In fact, fear for them because they don't even understand the judgment that is coming. Amos 5, 6 through 7, listen to this instruction to those who are wicked. Seek Yahweh that you may live, lest he come mightily like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel, for those who overturn justice into wormwood and put righteousness down to the earth. A fire that can't be quenched. This is what the wicked are storing up for themselves the wrath of God. And if you fear God, and if you understand that fate that would be for them, 
you will witness well in a hostile world. And so when you live with this perspective, when this mindset that Christ is holy, that he is the Lord, that he is the one who gives eternal hope, when you have that mindset, your life will look different. You will stand out because you won't be doing what the world does. And you will stand out by how you speak because you'll be talking about things that matter for eternity. And when you do that, you will have opportunities to witness and you can expect those opportunities. So this first point was to regard Christ as holy and that leads to opportunities to witness. And so point number two, you must know your testimony. Know your testimony. Verse 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So he says, always being ready to make a defense. That means that you're never surprised or never caught off guard when an opportunity comes to explain the hope that you have. Because if you fear God and if you're living that way, he's going to provide those opportunities and you need to be ready for them. Uh, reminds me of when I was studying Hebrew at, uh, at the master's university and my professor said, you need to know these vocabulary words so well and you need to know these grammar words so well that I could wake you up in the middle of the night and ask you a question and you would just know it because it's there in your head. Well, that's how we all need to be with the gospel of Christ. That's how we how grounded we need to be in the hope that we have for eternity. And notice that he doesn't say always getting ready. He says always being ready. And in fact, there's actually not even a verb there. It's an adjective, always ready. It's just describing a type of person. It's describing who you are. If you fear the Lord, if you live for him, if you have eternal hope in Christ, you will be ready to give a defense. Because look what they're asking for. To everyone who asks you to give an account for what? for the hope that is in you. Look, if you have hope of eternal life, if you really have it, don't you think you'll be able to explain to someone what that is and what it means? Do you know that you will live forever because Christ has died for your sins and paid once for all, for all the sins that you have ever committed and rose again and he gives you his righteousness and cleanses all your sin so that you can live forever with Christ in heaven. That is eternal hope. Do you know that you have that hope? Can you explain that to someone else? It's actually easier than you think because Peter's not here talking about philosophical arguments for the existence of God or scientific explanations for the folly of evolution. You don't have to do all this studying. Those things would be helpful. Great, yeah. But this is for every. Christian. It's simply a testimony of your own hope. That's why the point is know your testimony. Do you have this hope? If you have it, you can share about it. That's how Amazon reviews work, right? If someone bought the product from Amazon, they're qualified to share a review about it because they have it. They know what it's like. If you have salvation, you have this hope. And a warning is if you don't know how to explain that hope, Maybe you need to investigate whether you've truly understood it yourself. Do you really have the hope of eternal life in Christ? Do you really know what the gospel is and why you are saved from your sins? 
If you know, you will be able to share. But if you don't know how to articulate this, you should be careful and, and really look into the fact that you've actually understood the gospel yourself. And if you need to talk to someone about that, talk to a small group leader or a friend or someone who knows after this and be sure that you have the hope of eternal life and that will make you ready to share it with others. Because there's a goal here. There's a goal here. You're supposed to share the hope that is in you. Peter literally calls this, if you keep the the original word order, the in you hope. And the goal here is not just to win a debate, not just to win a fight, not just to show that you have something that they don't have. You actually, when you're witnessing to the world, you want the in you hope to become the in them hope too. That's the goal. That's why you're sharing this. This is not just to justify yourself so that you can be right. It's to show that God is the one who justifies sinners and they can have this hope also. That's the testimony that you get to share. What will help with this? You just get to explain when someone says, why do you live this way? Why don't you participate in the parade? Why don't you wear these colors? There's opportunities just line up and you just get to say, it's because I have hope for eternal life and I don't need to fear what happens in this world. And explain why. The gospel of Christ He satisfied my debt. He paid for my sin that made me worthy of eternal death and granted me eternal life by simply believing in his name that he loves sinners and desires to save them for his glory so that they will live forever with him. There's a right way to give this testimony though. And so that brings us to our third point, which is watch your attitude. Watch your attitude as you witness in a hostile world. Notice that Peter gives a a little disjunctive here. He says, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear. And he says, yet, because that's not the natural reaction. We tend to get into debates. We tend to get riled up and want to win an argument and want to win the fight and want to prove the other person wrong. We like to do what so off, so common of YouTube videos by Ben Shapiro, right? Ben Shapiro destroys liberals with facts and logic, Ben Shapiro destroys every college snowflake. These are real video titles on YouTube. Ben Shapiro annihilates group of people in Q&A. This is is the type of debating and arguing that we don't want to mimic. It's funny. It's so well known of him. And I, I don't want to speak bad about Ben Shapiro. It's probably the people titling the videos that just want to see people get what's coming to them. And so they say destroys and annihilates and... And, and he's actually made fun of it by posting a video of himself that says Ben Shapiro destroys a Thanksgiving turkey with facts and logic. It's become a joke. But the idea is that people just want to win a debate. They want to destroy the opponent. They want to put the other side down. And that's what he unfortunately has become known for. But that's not what Christians are to be known for. You are not destroying those who you witness to. You want to see them saved. And thus, you don't get riled up. You don't shout or become angry 
You don't start speaking faster and faster to try to win the argument. You simply share your testimony of hope with gentleness and fear. And that's a whole lot easier when you remember again your own testimony. When you remember again that God did not destroy you in your wickedness, but he was gentle with you. Listen to Ephesians 2. Let's set our perspectives right again. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That was all of us. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is so clear in scripture. Another passage, Titus 3. And the end of verse 2 and following, this is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the world, demonstrating all gentleness to all men. Why? Verse 3, for we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. Verse 4, but when the kindness and affection of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And so we see that even as we were sinners, God did not seek to destroy or annihilate us as he had right to do and ability to do, but he showed kindness and gentleness. And so we are to witness with gentleness. The Greek word is actually defined more in in terms of humility. It means It's the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It means that I don't see myself as that big of a deal. Why is that important when you witness? Because if you see yourself that way, that will really help you to speak with gentleness. And a gentle answer turns away wrath, right? Proverbs 15.1, a harsh word stirs up anger. So even when people are wrathful and hateful against you, when you remember that Christ is Lord, that he is Yahweh, that he is holy, when you know your testimony well, and when you commit to remembering that that you were the same, that you were also wicked and God was gentle with you, you can give them a gentle answer and calmly explain the hope that is in you so that if God chooses they also will have that same hope of eternal life. And so it's not an exasperated or angry or vicious response when you witness in a hostile world. It's gentleness and fear. The word fear here might be translated in your Bible as reverence or respect. It is the word fear, phobos. You've heard of a phobia, maybe a fear or something. That's really what it is. It's fear. And every time Peter talks about fear in this letter, 
Who are the ones that you're supposed to fear? Who are you supposed to fear? It's God. It's Yahweh. Christ. He shall be your fear. And he shall be your dread. And so this is again a reminder. Remember how I said how important that first point is that you regard Christ as holy and fear him even as you witness. It's impossible to have that kind of gentle answer if you don't have Christ. It's a work of the spirit. It's amazing. It's, it's literally otherworldly. We can't do that except by his grace, except by his own gentleness. And so we remember to fear him and submit to him as we witness in a hostile world. Just one more thing for your effective witness. Number four, that's to keep a clean conscience. Keep a clean conscience. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Having a good conscience. This is so important if you're going to witness your testimony, the hope that you have of eternal life to others so that they might have that hope of eternal life. There's a couple ways of compromising your conscience that can kill your testimony. You can compromise your conscience and thus kill your testimony, make it, unbel- make it not so believable to the people that you're witnessing to if you compromise your conscience. And that's either one, by failing to live out that hope that you proclaim. Right? If you don't live the way that you say God requires to live and yet you say that you fear God, it's like, well, what's that? I don't believe that you even believe what you believe. And number two is to fail to actually proclaim that hope when you have the opportunity. If you do these things, if you don't live out the hope that you claim to have, or when God gives you an opportunity to share with someone else and you decide that you'd rather fear man and not share that hope, well, your conscience is going to afflict you. That's why God gave it to you. It's a blessing. It's a gift to help you to help you not turn against God. Your conscience will accuse you if you do those things and you'll feel guilty and ashamed. And Peter is saying, look, you don't want that. Keep a good conscience. Live up to your testimony of hope. Share the gospel every opportunity you get so you don't walk away going, ah, I should have shared the gospel with that person. And if you do that, look at the, the guilt and the shame turns around. Remember, these are people who are hateful and hate you because you align with God and you tell them that their works are evil. What happens when you keep a good conscience, when you back up your testimony with a solid life and when you boldly share the truth in a gentle and calm way, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. They won't have anything bad to say about you. They won't be able to accuse you of anything because as much as they've been vile and evil and hateful toward you and expect the same back from you, you're just gentle and kind and want to serve them and want to help them and want to give them hope. That's something that puts an evil person to shame. There's a story of a missionary named John Patton. And he was a missionary to some islands off the coastline of Australia. Uh, These people that lived on these islands, they were cannibals. There was a group of missionaries that went 20 years before Patton did, and they got eaten. They literally got eaten by the cannibals. The, the, The people on the island killed them and cooked them and ate them. And so people told Patton, don't go. They'll eat you. And it was a really fair observation. They probably would eat him. 
But what John Patton did was amazing. He went and he witnessed to these people. And there's a story of a time when one of the cannibals had a musket and would follow him around, pointing and aiming the musket at him in whatever he was doing. And John Patton just went around going about his business, tending a little garden that he had, speaking kind words to this man with the musket and trying to serve him in any way he could. And that man was ashamed to shoot him and he never did because John Patton only showed kindness to him. And so that's what keeping a clean conscience looks like in the hostile world. You don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but give a blessing instead. Do you care about those people who are trapped in their sin? Ask the Lord to grow you in that. I need to grow in that. It's so easy to be angry at them and to forget that they are lost just as we once were. But that's the attitude that we need to have. And when you keep a good conscience, you will have good conduct and it doesn't matter what others say about you because you'll be approved before God. And that will be a great comfort. There's one more thing as we close. I just want to give a picture of pulling all of these things together. These four points, the first being the most important, regard Christ as holy in your life. Remember your testimony. Watch your attitude. Keep a good conscience. Just an example of someone who did this really well. And I want to help you remember it with a story. So how do we do that? Well, listen to this. This this happened 63 years ago. The year was 1958. Uh, A woman from Massachusetts went to the Andes Mountains with her three-year-old daughter and a friend hiking in the foothills of those mountains. And this was a very dangerous thing to do because there was a hostile and vicious tribe of Indians there, savages. They're known as the Alka Indians. And Time Magazine actually called these people the worst people on earth. They were brutal. They were violent. They were, they were murderers. There's tons of really distressing stories about them, even like women giving birth to little babies and then strangling them with a vine because they didn't want that baby. Or sick, hurting members of the tribe would get thrown into a pit and buried alive because these people were just brutal. They they didn't want any weak people around. And any threat that came from the outside, any other person or animal or whatever, didn't matter. They had these long wooden spears and they would just spear any threat to death without a second thought. These were the people that lived in these mountains and this woman and her little three-year-old and her friend were walking right into their camp. But it wasn't an accident. This woman was Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary who wanted to see these people saved. She cared about their souls. And so she made this bold journey to go and minister the gospel to them. But what that makes us even more bold is that only two years earlier, those same savage Indians had murdered her own husband, Jim Elliot, who had also gone as a missionary to witness to them. He went to them and ministered to them with four other missionaries. And these Indians killed them with their spears And so what would be the response of Elizabeth Elliot and her little daughter 
It wasn't to hate them. It it wasn't to hole up and, and never come out again. No, she feared God more than men, and she loved the lost and cared more about God's desire to save even than her desire to live. And she went and ministered the gospel to these savage Indians, not just to visit them, but to live with them. And that kindness that is only possible for someone who has the Holy Spirit, who has the power of Christ propelling them, that kindness won over many of those Alka Indians. They believed the gospel. They did not kill her. And you will see many of them in heaven. It's an amazing story of a woman who feared God more than men and pursued to witness to them with gentleness and kindness and love, knowing that their greatest need was the gospel of Christ. And it also goes to show that no one is so wicked that God can't save them. If you have a testimony like this of your own hope and you back that up with a loving way of living. May the Lord grant all of us to have that kind of fear of him and that kind of effective witness in a hostile world as we continue to live for him and fix our hope on him and regard him as holy. Father, as we... Think of this instruction. It is a high calling. It is, in fact, an impossible calling. Lord, you have told us that we must be holy as you are holy. You have told us that we must not give back evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but offer a blessing. You have told us that we must be kind and loving and witness well to people who hate us. This is an impossible thing to do, but Lord, it is something that you yourself did. When Jesus came down to earth and being reviled, he did not revile in return. And being beaten and afflicted, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting him to the one who judges righteously. May we be like him. Help us to be like Christ, to fear him. Sanctify us, Lord. We confess the ways that our conscience has has prodded us and shown us that we have not kept your word. But Lord, you are holy. You are worthy to be regarded as holy. Help us to do that and to witness well in this world until you come back. Help us to remember our eternal hope. In Christ's name, amen.